This episode of that Star Trek podcast contains spoilers for Lower Decks, as well as some harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to That Star Trek Podcast. This is your place for detailed analysis and speculation of all things Trek. Now, on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Star Trek Podcast. Your one-stop shop, one-stop pod, I should say, for reviews, examinations, and speculation of all things Trek. I am your sick host, Scott Madison, and did you know we have pockets? Joining me this week, we have a full house of panelists to discuss uh, the latest episode of Star Trek Lower Decks, uh, Season 4, Episode 9, The Inner Fight, written by Mike McMahon and directed by Brandon Williams. Let's go around the table and introduce everyone that's going to be talking about the episode with us this week. First, we have Rick. How are you, sir? Teach me how to tap dance, Beverly Crusher. Possibly favorite (laughs) line. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, the big man himself, the head of the Infinite Potato Alliance Podcasting Network, we have Sean Ray. How are you? Oh, I have a stick in my boot. <laughs> uh, underrated line. I was not expecting that one. Good. Uh, direct from superanemic.com, we have Nick Yeager. How are you? This planet has no honor. <laughs> well, we knew that. Did you want to quote from the episode? joining us directly from his own star trek podcast the star trek universe podcast as well as dc on screen don't think that i forgot we have returning once again david c robertson how's it going it's going all right i don't have a quote that's okay we (laughs) we we still enjoy having you here even if you can't remember that follow the rules we'll beat that dead horse don't worry i've never followed that rule to be Uh, clear touche Touche. Rather like Mariner, who doesn't like following the rules. See, you, you sort of did it. And that's right. Finally, <laughs> uh, we have the other Madison uh, himself, my brother Tom Madison. How is everything? What in the minimalist hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's the penultimate episode, everybody. We're getting close to the end of season four. So as we I can't always believe do, it. it's like it just started last week. It, it it did go pretty quick. It feels like Wait. it went by really fast. We're doing episode nine. I thought it was episode eight. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> That's what you told us before. <laughs> okay. What do I feel like a stop hitting yourself moment is coming? (laughs) We'll fix it in post. (laughs) Before I launch into a coughing fit, let's go around the table and uh, get everyone's uh, uh, overall broad stroke impressions of uh, this episode nine. Uh, Let's start. And I'm mad at you because you just made fun of me, but I'll, I'll start with you anyway. Tom, what did you think of this episode? 
Uh, I enjoyed it. I liked a lot of the uh, the references that they were making to various Trek from, you know, next gen, uh, even some TOS, Voyager, all that, um, all the connections uh, really set things up for the the next one. So it, I don't know that it'll stand alone by itself very well, but as a part one, it, it was good. All right. And uh, Dave, how about you? How'd you feel about this week's episode? I absolutely loved it. I uh, I was not expecting Nick Locarno. And I love they're tying it back to, to all of that lower deck stuff from TNG. Um, I love that that was like the... One of the big issues for Mariner, one of the reasons she didn't want to move up. And I also love that she basically has PTSD from the Dominion War as well, on top of losing a friend. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was really strong. And uh, it wasn't incredibly laugh-heavy, but I didn't think it needed to be. It was enough that uh, I felt good that I watched an episode of Lower Decks. But we're getting to the meat of a, of the of the story now, and I'm... I'm excited to see it, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Excellent. Good to hear. Um, Neek, give us your thoughts. I agree with uh, Dave. I thought it was brilliant. I thought Lower Decks is at its best when it's legit Star Trek, and this was a legit story. It was still zany. It was still funny. It was still a cartoon, but there was a real story in there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's what I like in my Lordex. That's what I like in my Star Trek. And yeah, like you said, Dave, the the tie, tying it back to the original Lower Decks episode, it, it's like I, I can't believe it took them four seasons to do that. And yeah, bringing back uh, Nick Lacarno, and even even just dropping in there that Beverly Crusher has left Starfleet. I just love that the the writers of the show are actually paying attention. Not only to, you know, the classic Trek, but that to every Trek that's gone by, even, you know, the controversial new stuff, it shows that they care, that they're, they're like us, you know, they're, it's written by fans. And so you, I, I don't understand how someone can watch this show and not feel that love letter to the fans that it is. In addition to being funny, in addition to being legit, Star Trek with good stories. Mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, Sean, your turn. What did you think of this episode? I thought this was a really good episode. Uh, it's it, it was one of the... Uh, I probably enjoyed this episode more than I've enjoyed most of the season. I actually had two or three... I watched the episode by myself, and usually when I watch it by myself, I don't really laugh out loud at things, but I actually laughed out loud at least three times in this episode, so... That's a plus. And um, I like that Lower Decks tied back to the Lower Decks episode of TNG. Uh, I like that they got Robert Duncan McNeil to, to come in and voice just just that one line. Of course, you know, he'll be he'll be back next week, I guess. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it was it was a great episode. I liked it. liked it a lot. I thought you were going to say I watched it by myself. So I had two or three drinks. So I enjoyed no. it more, you know, like, <laughs> It sounded like that's no, what you were going to say. I watched it before I went to work, so I couldn't afford to do that. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. 
right. And uh, Rick, give us your thoughts this week. I loved it. Uh, I, in fact, uh, I, I may call this the best episode of the season so far. Oh, um, I mean, hands down. Yeah. Uh, I, I loved the, the venom suits, which were just the TOS <laughs> space suits. Yeah. Um, I, at totally least the pants, <laughs> at least the pants. Yeah. <laughs> um, I totally surprised myself because a, a couple of things I had to like the, the, the spacesuits i had to stop and like show my wife a picture of uh the tholian web so that she's oh yeah that um and when i was trying to explain Cedo to her i was getting choked up and i'm like god damn it she's a fictional character that we saw for one episode what the hell <laughs> but well two, two episodes. episodes well two but yeah um it, it just <laughs> i didn't realize how emotionally invested i was in that story until i was explaining you know reminding my wife what it what they were referencing um i loved while it was a quick wrap up, but you know, we have to give allowances for it being 20 minutes long, you know, uh, uh, Mariners come to Kayla's moment in the cave. Uh, but it just, <laughs> it, everything worked. It was, it was just a, a great episode. And yeah, I didn't see Locarno come in either. I thought that was, that was genius. Can I, I give I, extra hmm. points for pink Klingon blood? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> totally I, Kudos. I I know I'm being a stupid fanboy, but I really hope that the the climax of this particular story has to involve Tom Paris. Like I want Tom oh, Paris, sweet, even in animated form. <laughs> I want Tom and Nick in the same room, and people are like, "Why you guys look exactly the same?" And they're like, "I don't see it." <laughs> and, and Janeway has to decide which one of them lives. Oh God. <laughs> You get off that two Vix dick. <laughs> Stop riding it. Now that's a t-shirt I want. Get off that two Vix dick. <laughs> I'm not designing that one for free. <laughs> it ejaculates homicide. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. See, there was that, that's, written on, that's written on the back. Okay. No, I always have to. I know where the line is. I purposely go over it. It's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> have we ever had you and Chris on the same show? <laughs> yes, I believe so. Because <laughs> you both are really good at just diving into the mud. <laughs> so to add in my. Uh, <laughs> you guys are <really> good. <laughs> To add in my two slips of Latinum. Uh, I, I agree with everyone. I thought this episode was fantastic. Um, uh, for me, hands down, best episode of the season, uh, as Neek said. Um, I when when they spent an extra moment on Locarno at the beginning during that briefing, then I started to have my suspicions. But it was it was still. Uh, a nice moment of, of surprise when they revealed uh, that he's the one inside that ship. Um, I liked the, the, the more subtle nod. Uh, there's the, the bird of prey with the Klingons that Nick is working with for some reason. And on the wing of that bird of prey, they have a symbol painted on it. And the same symbol is on Nick's jacket when 
Mariner opens the door and that. sees him. Did anyone see it? No. No. The symbol is a representation of the Culver's Starburst. I was going to Oh, wonder. yes, I did. Mm. I did see that. I didn't recognize it on on I didn't see it on the Bird of Prey, but yes, I did. I did recognize that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it that just was didn't super click. Clever. Yeah. Super super clever. I like that uh uh Freeman and Shax and um Rutherford have to go to Muds. Yeah. Yeah. Very clever. Um and they were and serving jippers. Th- that <laughs> is reference I don't get. In the in the short track, or no, in the, in one of the Harry Mud episodes. Yeah, it, no, it was, the, was, it was a short track. It yeah, was a short track. It was a short track. Yeah, I'll be yeah. sipping jippers on the beach in no time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So wow, I, I haven't watched spoiled. a short tricks in a while. Sorry, I got spoiled about the. Um, uh, Nick Locarno before watching the episode, it was, I don't know if it was a, a screen rant or a trick culture or something, but I, I saw it, uh, right in their story, right, um, before I got a chance. It really, normally I don't mind spoilers at all. I, I look for them this time. I, uh, I was really disappointed to got that spoiler ahead of time. It wasn't me. No, no. <laughs> this time. Not this time. <laughs> this time. Yeah, I was I was surprised because you know we've seen plenty of lists before with with deep cut references on them. So, and I love the fact that Mariner knows him. Well, it makes sense, right? Because yeah. if she was friends with Cito, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. you know Cito was at the academy with Nick. So of course, if Mariner was hanging out with Cito at the academy, she was also hanging out with Nick. She was also hanging out with Wesley Crusher. Yeah, Ooh, it also makes yeah. she old as hell. Or, yeah, I have a question in the timeline. Well, She's the, a bit ancient. Lower, this is well, supposed low, to lower be... Decks only takes place like a few years after uh, Nemesis. It's like, yeah, I think season one was supposed to be like one year after Nemesis. But yeah, that was still, like, that was like it, season four of Next Gen or season five. Lower Decks was seven. It was season seven. Yeah. Was it seven? Yeah, it was. No, I, I was talking about the Nick Lacarno Le, Le, uh, oh, episode. Oh, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. The first duty that was like four or five. Yeah, uh, I've got it in my head. Lower decks is in season five. I'm probably thinking of. Um, I'm probably it, it's probably in my head that way because I'm thinking of um, the Pegasus. Oh yeah, because of the, the lower, lower decks was one of the good ones in season seven. <laughs> The three or four, <laughs> either one of them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what you like don't the, going to New Veriform City? <laughs> I like the one with Data's a mama, where that, that they that they ignored every, for every time they talked about Data's age afterward. I have to. I have a question while we're talking about this this list that came up. Uh, Thomas Riker isn't he in a Cardassian prison somewhere? Last we heard. Yeah. How lo- how long do you think the Cardassians could keep Riker locked up? Especially once the I mean the collapse of Cardassia from the war. Oh yeah, yeah. that's true. I didn't think about that, but yeah, yeah. I, escape or no escape, Dominion War comes around. The fall of Cardassia. He, he's in the wind somewhere. Maybe. And I, if they, I, if they <laughs> want him to, yeah. yeah. 
I, I do find myself wondering if they're going to uh, work him into this storyline next week. I wouldn't mind it, but I think it, that'd probably be over putting a little too much. Yeah, it, it, it might be overshooting, but. Well, it, and they've also talked about him so much in Lower Deck. Um, I mean, the fact that they have a Boimler cl- transporter clone. Mm. It It's just, it'd be a little too much Thomas Riker. No, yeah, no, they have no. It. now I'm starting to think that would be great. I don't think we're going to get Boimler's transporter clone until they have a chance to do like a big arc with, because he's like in section 31 now. Right. Yeah. So I think it like if next season is the final season, I think we might get, see a big arc that includes that character. If they did a thing where it, it turns out that Tom Paris was Nick Lacarno's transporter clone. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and like the, the transporter clones like teamed up. <laughs> <laughs> they all wound okay. up in really shitty positions and they they're looking for revenge you know i'd like to know how the um how <laughs> the because the whole the whole reason that robert mcneil played uh tom paris and not he was supposed to play lacerno in voyager right yep and the the whole reason that he didn't was because rick berman didn't want to go back and pay that writer again to use that character or whatever so i'd like to see you know what kind what what changed other than the fact that berman's not involved <laughs> that's probably it that's probably the whole thing well yeah. what, what changed is they're, they're not creating a character that's going to star in every episode of a new series that goes on for x number of years yeah where they will have to pay the writer for every single episode yep even though I, that writer's not doing any work on the show but they're going to have, they would have had to send him money for every episode of Voyager. So they just create a new character for this series. They say, okay, let's find the writer of the first duty and we'll throw him some money to use his character twice. Done. That which, I, which I don't really understand how it works because Star Trek owns all those characters. We found that out when we talked to David Mack. You know, Star Trek owns all that stuff. You would think that they could use any character that they want that's in their continuity, but apparently they've got, there's some writer contract or something that if you reuse my character, you have to pay me again or something. Well, even, even, you know, like in the comic books, it used to be like work for hire. You don't own the rights to anything you create, but Mm -hmm. even that is changing now. So I, I don't, I don't know how detailed it is, but there's always some kind of little, Something. There's all this strict legal matter. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's different for novelists versus uh, screenwriters that submit spec scripts. That's a good point. If if they purchase the script, then the writer might retain some of the, the rights to the characters they create in that script. But if it's one of the novelists writing a book that they've been commissioned to write by the owners of the ip well this sounds like a question for uh, a uh side expanded universe novelist that we may know let's get uh christopher on here (laughs) christopher come on in no he's not here (laughs) well then again this is uh that star trek podcast uh hey sean uh 
get David Mack on and uh, let's ask him. Yeah. Yeah. We've done it before. He's a little, yeah, he's a little busy right now. He's, he's, he like, he's one of the, uh, he's one of the um, um, continuity guys for Prodigy right now. So, Mm -hmm. So who are we talking about? David Mack. Oh, that's a great point. Like, I bet there is something if he, if, if a person submitted a spec script and is not part of the writer's room. Yeah. There's, there's some ownership of that character. Well, the reason I, you're the listeners, if you don't, if you don't know, the reason I brought up David Mack was because he created control in one of his novels that was later used in one of the seasons of discovery, almost the same way that he designed, designed it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and I asked him about that when, when he, we interviewed him and he, I mean, he answered the question, but you know, you could kind of tell that he was a little, little ticked that they used something that he created and that he didn't get any credit for it, which you know I, I can understand. It, well, it's it's probably a union thing because I I've looking over the history of Star Trek in general, so many people worked on every script, and there were only so many writing credits that could be given according mm-hmm. to the WGA. And so mm-hmm. there, there was often a lot of tug of wars about who would get the writing credit and how many people would get the writing credit and who deserved it and who didn't and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I would, ass- I would assume now anyway that, and, and I, you know, and I'm just guessing, but anyone who gets permission to write a Star Trek novel now probably has to sign away anything they create to be used by, Star Trek at a later date if they so desire. Yeah, probably. Well, back in the 90s when the Star Trek novels were really big, the people that were writing these novels knew they're not ever going to use any of this stuff on the show. You know, it, it, none of its continuity, you know, it's it's all basically really good fan fiction. But um not all of it. <laughs> but now <laughs> well, all good, of it was fantastic. good enough. Yeah, good enough for <laughs> paramount to stamp star trek on the cover but um but now that's not necessarily true because they're using stuff that comes from the novel the the stuff from the novels and stuff from the animated series are showing up on star trek all the time now Mm -hmm. yeah so all right let's take a moment and discuss a uh, what i think is an important point that mariner brings up in this episode it's obviously this is uh, the scene in the cave where she's opening up to Ma'ach. Um, and at the, the first time I watched this episode, um, I, I was having lunch and doing my first viewing. And she's telling him the story about you know, why she's fighting with herself, why she doesn't want to be promoted. And when the name Sito came out of her mouth, I, I stopped eating. My mouth kind of hung open for a second as a, holy shit, they're, they're, they're pulling this into the character. And it immediately made so much of Beckett's characterization. All the stuff that's been like really annoying, obnoxious, and abrasive up until now made so much of it make a lot more sense. I concur. So I was absolutely sucked into the scene. And Mariner says 
what it, it's one of those observations about Starfleet and Star Trek overall that don't necessarily occur to a lot of viewers un, until someone points it out. And I, I pulled a quote from Memory Alpha. Mariner says, Starfleet is supposed to be about puzzling together the mysteries of life, not fighting wars. I don't want to be a general. I don't want to send my friends off to die. I just want to be an ensign. If it was good enough for Sito, then it's good enough for me. And that tells us two things. One, it it cements it very, very clearly that the reason that she has worked so hard to not advance is because she's still treating Sito as her role model. Well, forever ensign. Because that's as far as Sito got. So that crystallizes a lot of Mariner's characterization. But the other point that it makes is they are acknowledging that a lot of Star Trek stories... Um, and I think the biggest example being DS9. The stories sometimes become less about exploration and more about conflict. And I don't have like a moral to take away from this. I just thought it was a, uh, I thought it was a very heavy scene with a, a lot of, we'll call it a lot of thinking material. There's a lot to chew on from that very short scene. So I wanted to get everyone else's take on what they think and how they feel about Mariner's observation, her perspective on Starfleet. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I also had a lot of feelings from that scene. Um, because I, I'm def I'm one of those people who likes deep space nine, but it's my least favorite of the classic treks because indeed it's about war. And that's just not my personal flavor of jam. Um, so the, the so having Mariner, you know, as the voice of the writers, perhaps, perhaps this is Mike McMahon's view, or I don't know, the powers that be saying, you know, Star Trek is about exploration. It's about storytelling it's about allegory it's about the human condition it's not about fighting i mean sometimes it's about fighting because that's part of the human condition but at its core star trek is supposed to be a story about how we've moved past that so for star trek to regress and just become pew pews well then it's no longer star trek now it's more Star Wars. And so I don't think it's coincidental that there were a lot of very Star Warsian things about this episode. I don't know if you all felt that. I felt that, you know, like they're, they're on a, a planet that's sort of, you know, Moss Eisley, like a, the whole, you know, scum and villainy thing and, and you know, a, a bounty hunter with a helmet on. Like there was a lot of 
Star Warsian things happening in this episode. So I think a lot of the things in this episode were quite meta, that speech being among them. So I don't know if anyone else, I have more to say about that in terms of, do I think this is an earned um, character arc for Mariner? But does anyone else want to expand on um, more about that that speech? I, I liked it. Uh, I agree with it. I have, you know, I've over the years, I, and I think I might have said this before. I've I've learned to really like DS Nine, but I think a lot of shows going forward after DS Nine took the wrong lesson because DS Nine was a lot about war, and yeah, there were some there were some you know really cool battles and and stuff like that, but a lot of it was showing. <clears throat> was showing the 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 consequences of war. It certainly didn't glorify it. Whereas like season three of Enterprise turned me off almost completely because the whole Zindi war arc, I couldn't stand it. Didn't like it. Uh, seeing the Klingon war in Discovery, while I love Discovery, I love the characters, that story didn't work for me either. Uh, and we keep they keep going back to this well. I think they're drawing the wrong conclusions from why DS9 was popular. And there's plenty of fans. There's plenty of fans of DS9 who will get all up in arms about how dark these later shows are. And then you point out, well, DS9 was doing that too. And they're like, oh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> um, I, I much prefer Star Trek as an aspirational show as opposed to this is what the future is going to be. Uh, and I, and, and again, I, this is nothing new. I've said this before too. And I really like that speech because it shows me I'm not alone and that the, some of the people making Star Trek feel the same way. That Star Trek was supposed to show that people could get past the barbarianism of where we are now and become the Federation. And I know a lot of people are like, well, that utopia has full of holes and it's very much an American allegory and et cetera, et cetera. That's all true. But there's been such an emphasis on warfare and violence and, and aggression. And that's one of my main dislikes about Section 31 is because that's an offshoot of that. In, in the aspirational world of Star Trek, there shouldn't be a Section 31. Well, we have... Star Trek, I agree that Star Trek is uh, supposed to show us what the future can be, but it's also always held up a mirror, a mirror to what we are. And what we are is there's war. Wherever there are people, there are there is war. And, uh, and I agree that Deep Space Nine showed a lot of the after effects of war. You know, we talk about we talk about MASH a lot on this show. MASH took place during the Korean War, but it was really about Vietnam. You know, so we're, we we see a lot of the the war and stuff on Star Trek, and really, it's supposed to be showing us a mirror of what's going on in our world and show us this is how this affects these people. This is how this affects these people. Like when we would see Kira on Deep Space Nine. Well, she used to be a terrorist, but now we're looking at terrorism from another angle. 
you know, we're looking at, we're looking at what causes this person to become that, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think it's those kinds of, those kinds of stories are interesting. And I, and this, this speech with Mariner reminded me a lot of Pike's speech from uh, the original pilot, the cage where he's laying on the bed whining. I don't want to be a captain anymore. You know, <laughs> it was, uh, it was kind of that, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to send my friends off to die, you know, and there's a lot of people that are in that situation now that can, they can relate with that, you know, and uh, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going anywhere else with that. That's just all. That's all I had to say. I uh, don't, I did not see what Mariner said as any kind of indictment of DS nine. Um, I'm a huge DS nine fan. It's my favorite series. Uh, yeah, probably. me too. But, uh, you know, I think it's incredibly important, you know, it's like, uh, at the, at the end of the motion picture, you know, the human adventure, or that is number three. Sorry. May, I can't remember now anymore, but the human adventure is, is, is just beginning or whatever. That's, that's and motion which picture. one is it? Mo- motion, motion picture. 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 Okay. I was right at first. So, but like, it's not, it can't just be about exploring planets and, and scanning plants. Like it's about self-exploration and you can be a human being on earth. You could be in this federation that's incredibly evolved, these Roddenberry characters. But what happens when the rest of the freaking galaxy isn't on that? It's sort of like when, like if you ever grew up in like a really toxic environment and then you leave and you become you or you strive to be a better person, but then you, when you go back, you find yourself devolving and going right back into those toxic traits, you know, it's trying to find a way to be better and move past your past because it is a mirror of where humanity was before. Uh, all these other races conquering, you know, uh, what, what have you from week to week. And in the case of DS9, and I feel like this lower decks by making the Dominion War such an integral part of Mariner's PTSD, I feel like that is very much saying like, look, there are consequences to these things. It's not an indictment of DS9 because DS9 showed us plenty of horrific consequences of war and none of them wanted to be in that situation. But, you know, the whole premise of DS9 from the beginning was like, we're on this alien space station and none of these people are Federation. They hate us. They don't, you know, they're going to do whatever they're going to try to do. Um, I think it's incredibly important to look at the Federation and Starfleet ideals and all this and say, well, okay, how are you going to, how are you so different? Let's see how you handle these situations and section 31 is a fantastic invention maybe overused but it's great because you know in it's uh there's this great line from batman the animated series rupert thorne is trying to get uh information on squeaky clean harvey dent district attorney and uh they keep telling him i can't find anything on him and he's like keep digging the brighter the picture the darker the negative and that's always been one of those <laughs> those concepts that I really loved about Section 31. Like behind this wonderful utopia, bright shining in the darkness, there's something rotten. And it's 
in is uh important for us to constantly no matter how great we appear and make ourselves appear that we're aware of the rotten that's within us that we need to constantly work on because no one's perfect no one will ever be perfect that's the human condition mm-hmm. so i love it i love it and that's how i looked at it and Sorry, I, that was I, long. <laughs> and no, no, and and let me let me just clarify. I was not trying to say that this was an indictment of DS9. What I was saying is that the series after DS9 took the wrong message from what DS9 did. I'm not sure they did. I think they they just came at it from another angle. You know, I I, I really do. I think they were trying to do something else, and it didn't come off the way they intended but we know discovery had tons of issues with showrunners and writing yeah. staff and all sorts of bullshit so yeah i mean and, well and enterprise too i mean yeah i really enjoyed enterprise i mean it was a little rough in the first season fourth season i thought was great that whole zindi war thing was bullshit and i almost hated every episode of it i really yeah. liked it because it felt, I really liked it because it felt like it was the Federation dealing with, it was where we were as a nation in the United States, being angry about terrorism, being angry about 9 11. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's what I felt like they were, they were holding up a mirror to us. And that's what I liked about it. And, and I, I would, I would dig that. And, and I guess the, the, the point I was trying to make, and I guess I didn't, I didn't make it very clearly. What a shock. <laughs> um, is that I think those are fine. You know, that that is definitely part of the human condition that needs to be addressed, to be examined, held a mirror up to, etc. But I think they've gotten way more weight than other things could have. You know, a whole freaking season of, of Enterprise was the Zindi War. Uh, and when it wasn't the Zindi War, it was the Herogen taking over the ship for what three four was it the herogen well they were trying to follow the that was yeah they were trying to follow the deep space nine model of yeah deep space nine kind of started that so but i you know i think the way ds9 handled the dominion war while i still think there was still a little too much emphasis on it they did it for the most part they weren't glorifying it there were some like i said there were some really great battles and i i won't say i didn't enjoy them but a lot, most of what DS9 was showing was the horrors of what happens, not on the front lines, but to the people left behind and stuff like that. And, and I appreciated that. What I, you know, and I, we could do a whole episode about Section 31 because, you know, I have gone on at length and I'm not going to again. Um, but there, there I think are, they have been overused, much like the Borg was overused in Voyager. Yeah, you, they demyst, they demystified them and uh, made them a little boring, honestly. But well, and they're also incompetent <laughs> as hell. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> anyway, so to get back to this episode, um, what I wanted to also say about Mariner and her speech about Cito is that although it explains a lot of her behavior, not just this season, but forever, it doesn't justify it. And so I felt that her having this, I don't know, epiphany, like she has, seems to have an epiphany every season and it never takes. Yeah. And so you could say, oh, it's because she has PTSD. It's because she's upset about her friend, blah, blah, blah. She should have been drummed out of Starfleet ages ago. Like even before Lower Deck started, she, 
like it wasn't she didn't she end up in the brig like the very first episode of lord x mm-hmm. like i get that it's a comedy i get that it's a cartoon but if you take this as like a serious story if her parents weren't starfleet bigwigs there's no way she would still be in starfleet her behavior is so insubordinate and so unacceptable and not only does she put her own life at risk regularly she puts the lives of everyone else at risk. So her her speech about, I don't want to be a general, I don't want to send my friends like off to their doom or whatever and takes off a pimp. It's like, dude, that's all you ever do is put other people at risk with your own behavior. So Mariner is in some ways like the worst person ever in Starfleet, the worst Starfleet officer ever. And I get that that's a little bit the point, like the juxtaposition between her and Boimler, because he's such a model officer and she's such a fuck up. But that's not okay. It's not okay for her to be so terrible at her job because her job isn't just, you know, doing each individual mission because yes, she's very competent at doing things like, you know, fighting those little lizard creatures in the beginning. But the way she goes about everything she goes about is so incorrect. And so I I find myself pissed off at Mariner and also angry at her mom for keeping her on, angry at Ransom for maintaining her promotion like no not only should she be demoted she should be court-martialed she needs to no longer be in starfleet and so i said at the beginning of this episode that i like when lower decks is legit star trek and in equal measure i dislike when it does things that are just unbelievable because it's too cartoony that Mariner is still around after all these horrific behaviors. I think that one of the the failings of the show, and I'm I'm not sure why I can't. Anyway, the Cerritos was supposed to be like the 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 worst ship in the fleet, and the, our lower deckers were supposed to be you know the 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 juniorest officers on the worst ship that didn't stick. The Cerritos has become more and more important every season. And I think that that works against, well, it works well for everybody, but Mariner because everybody else is doing, you know, Tendi and, and Rutherford and even Boimler who, you know, he's, he's in, you know, he, he's a suck up, but at least he's competent. And you're right. The, the, the the level that the Cerritos is at, the kind of missions the Cerritos is getting, there's no way they should be putting up with with Mariner. But the original intent was that the Cerritos was where all of the the, the screw ups were sent to just be forgotten. But then they couldn't I, keep that up, and they kept moving the Cerritos into more important areas. I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that idea about the Cerritos being you know the worst ship with the worst crew. It's supposed to. It, it's supposed to be that, not the A team, probably not even the B team, but the C team, fully competent on their own, but they're not getting those big missions. I mean, that was the the 
in that first episode, the explanation was they're not there to make the first contact. They go back behind and they're the second contact. They're the yeah, they're the cleanup the, the crew after the big missions come. Yeah, yeah, just the follow up. And so I, I don't even know that I agree with the idea that it's supposed to be the the screw up or anything like that. Um, it's just the junior officers that didn't stand out necessarily enough to make it onto like your big galaxy your sovereign class ship you know i can't help but wonder because you look at characters like reginald barkley who you know i feel like probably should have been drummed out of the service himself you know at some point uh during tng's run but you there there is a history of certain commanding officers looking at a track record and going like, I think this person can do this. Like we've got to keep giving them chances. Yes. They keep messing up, but we've got to keep doing it. Luckily for Mariner, her mom's the captain, but I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like they're all like on the Nebuchadnezzar waiting for the chosen one, you know, like they're all, <laughs> and in my head, like all of these Starfleet officers are all just going, is she the next Jim Kirk? Look at how she breaks those rules, but she gets the thing done. Like I, and maybe that's unrealistic, but I also feel like it's unrealistic in, you know, the original series movies to be like, you did a bunch of bullshit, Jim, we're going to demote you to captain. Cause that's what you want. <laughs> that's not how that works. Like, you know, thanks and for saving your ship. You're gone. Uh, well, how many times did data malfunction and take over the enterprise and, and, yeah, Nobody he should. You know what? This thing is dangerous. We need to disassemble <laughs> it. They should have outlawed synthetics years ago. <laughs> anyway, right. I, I don't disagree with you, Neek. Uh, I don't. I I think that. I think it's a for, pattern for the purposes in Star Trek of the comedy, but but and also yeah we you know but you know her dad's a an admiral her mom's the captain, and. One thing I really liked about the beginning of this episode is when Freeman brought all of the lower deckers in and there was no pretense. She was just like, why the hell is my daughter trying to get herself killed? And that's one thing I like about this series is there isn't a whole lot of beating around the bush. And that's refreshing. Well, when I saw that, I I wondered, well, why doesn't she just have a meeting with Mariner and ask her that herself? I, well, yeah, <laughs> well, work. She's not going to talk to her mom. <laughs> well, not even her mom. But we said that in my house. He's like, why doesn't someone just ask her? <laughs> because well, because the they've met her before. She won't. <laughs> she won't tell them anything. Yeah, the, exactly. She doesn't tell anyone fucking anything. I, even like after she has clearly been reckless like within the past 20 seconds and boimler says you've been acting really strangely no i haven't shut up yeah she'll just like blatantly tell them no i'm not acting this way that you just saw me act a moment ago and that's how she always is that's one thing they've been very consistent about is she's always that type of character he's in a state of arrested development yeah, the the one who knows that they're doing things the wrong way and will be asked, why are you doing it the wrong way? And will straight up lie to your face and say, I'm not doing it wrong. You're wrong. And she's always been this way. So it, it would have been 
useless to try to ask her. That's why the captain brought in everyone else. Though that's a funny thing, thinking about it, because that's pretty much every superior who ever gave Picard or Kirk shit. It's like, yeah, I'm doing it the wrong way, but you will follow my orders. <laughs> I mean, it, apparently you fail upwards in Starfleet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. any bureaucracy. I really liked Ma'ak. He reminded me a lot of, of Martok mm-hmm. because he was like, there was no doubt he was a Klingon warrior. You know, they. I was really worried that we were going to get some kind of real twisting of the of the Klingon mindset with him but he was he was I, I, when he when he's a do you do you obey every you know did Cito obey every order that she was given you know or whatever his insight was so Martokian <laughs> uh, because Martok was was probably the most Klingon Klingon they ever had on the show he's he was like one of my all-time favorites because he would be like kill honor glory blood wine oh you're missing your dog well did you live a good life because there will be more dogs in stovokor than us you know he was he was the full package he was not just the stereotype all anger and and aggression and i liked what they did with this klingon because he was like i'll fight you but i'll also listen to you and i'll point out when you're being stupid and it, I, I liked it. I like when we see Klingons become be be more well rounded, be actual people as opposed to just this stereotypical facade that we see sometimes. I do I like, like when you, I like when she hugged him and he was like, <laughs> yeah, he was like, "Why are you touching me? What are you doing?" <laughs> Klingons do not hug. <laughs> I have to say, when I clicked the link to be a part of this podcast tonight, I did not think I was going to hear Rick describe Martok's well rounded full package. and we're back (laughs) how you doing by the way going back to something we were talking about earlier i just wanted to say that imdb says that this episode takes place in 2381 which is approximately 13 to 14 years after the first duty which took place in 2368 so if mariner was in the academy with them then she was in the academy 13 years ago yeah she's ancient yeah. Well, also remember the late slower in in the Star Trek, you know, universe. So maybe the academy just takes a really long time to get through. She, dude, she about to be like Picard and Tapestry. Like she, <laughs> she she's just the lieutenant. <laughs> which this the the name of this episode was the Inner Fight, which is mm-hmm. a, which is the a reference light. to the Inner Light. Yeah. All right. I mean, people- but that tracks. We we know that Mariner has been in Starfleet forever. Yeah. She just every time she gets promoted, she gets demoted. I mean, mm. that's part of her character is that she's way too experienced to be an ensign. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just weird because they're all like cartoons and they don't look old. Yeah, you know? they, 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 they look the same age, yeah. Well, but we've seen her live action. That's, that's true. And yeah. both she and Boimler look way older than they come off on Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. Well, live action Boimler was a whole lot taller than he is on Lower Decks. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, the only reason they look like that on Lower Decks is because they're drinking that alcohol that makes them loopy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that Captain Freeman was remarkably competent in this episode. 
you know, the whole. The yeah, whole, I like the I like the whole switcheroo because you thought yeah. that she was screwing up, but she actually had a had an ace up her sleeve. I, I meant to make a note of that because I, she has she has had a few uh, notable moments of not really making the the right decision and just kind of fumbling her way through this story or that story. Not all the time but certainly enough to, to notice. So to come out by the end of this episode, having played the entire situation from the beginning, just right to get what they need. I, I, I really did like that part. And it was almost easy to forget about that aspect of it in light of the, the other plot line in this episode, which we have spent the lion's share of this podcast discussing. Um, so the Freeman Shacks Rutherford storyline gets a little bit lost, um, outshone by, by the other, but it was, it was still pretty solid. It was a good showing for Freeman for sure. But what, what do you think about her keeping that information from Rutherford and, and Shacks? Like, why didn't she trust them to be part of the ruse instead of making them? She's met them. <laughs> Their acting abilities. <laughs> it, it, if I had a sound, if I had a soundboard, this is where I would drop the the Tony Stark clip from Avengers. Not a great plan. Yeah, you could just you could imagine Rutherford being like, "Hey, Captain, is this a part of the plan? Is it all going to plan?" <laughs> I, I, I could see her yes. not telling Rutherford. I, I it it really it didn't occur to me, but now that you mention it. It's odd that sh- that Shax wasn't in on the plan, but I did, I, I did get a a big kick out of Billups being in the costume. <laughs> now, did anyone yeah, that think that at the first time we saw that ship and what turned out to be Billups in his in his cool Death's Head helmet? I like that he flew through the Sarita. <laughs> yeah. Did Did anyone else expect that that was going to turn out to be Lacarno? No. No, I, because I thought they, it was going to be Lacarno. Yeah, yeah they, they mention him in the briefing. They bring up his picture. They explain who he is. Okay, so he's going to be important. Now you know what? Maybe I did. Tough guy flying. I, think I just lied. I think I did think it was Lacarno. I good, yeah. I thought the Nick Lacarno mentioned at the beginning, and then the introduction of Skull Helmet. I thought that they wanted us to think it was going to be him. I always assumed it was a red herring. I was setting myself up for disappointment because I really wanted Nick Locarno. And I was like, no, no, they're not going to do it. Don't get excited, Dave. Don't get excited. They're just name drop Nick Locarno as a red herring. And, uh, and I was pleasantly surprised that I was wrong. All right. Now to wrap up, we'll do well, a- what? Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, uh, right. uh, a plot point that I probably just wasn't paying attention enough in previous episodes, but the the folks on the planet that had the uh, Romulan, the Klingon, the all of them in there, those were the commanding officers of all the ships that had been uh, stolen by now we know Locarno. Yeah, there should have been a lot more people there. Mm-hmm. Well, but that Klingon Bird of Prey was uh, Ma'az 
That's all. Yeah. So, and part of this is from reading on Memory Alpha is that, you know, he was betrayed, or it sounds like they were all betrayed by their crews. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the way I got it. That's the way I read it, yeah. Yeah. And I assume the rest of their crew is either somewhere else on the planet or maybe they're being kept somewhere else. Lakarna's building an army of lower deckers. Yeah. (laughs) Could be. Yeah. And Tendi got to be badass again. I loved it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Just give her her own spinoff already. (laughs) Let her be Mistress of the Winter Constellation. (laughs) I want a prequel (laughs) series. But she has this thing. From the very short trek, determined that we need to hear that more. Yeah, that's fine. All right. Hey, I wouldn't doubt that this show might, might get a, a spinoff. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put if, it past. At if all. this was four years ago, I would agree. I think we're going to be lucky to get one more season. We are going to get one more season. Yeah. Yeah. And and, yeah, and I think just because they've announced it doesn't mean we're going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. You hush your mouth. We're going to get it. Maybe it'll be on Netflix. (laughs) It's like the only streamer making money. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Now to wrap up, uh, since we do have one episode left in this season, it's time for a little bit of speculation. We've established that the commanding officers of the ships that we now know, Nick has attacked. Have all, we're all stranded together on this planet. We don't know where their lower deckers are. We don't know where their ships are. Well, oh, I, I, I suppose that's true. I, I had been working on the assumption that it was the people that were transported and the ships were, were laid waste. No, I thought that they no, said that... in a previous episode that all that wreckage was, was false. It yep. was not real. Yep, they absolutely yeah. said that was a ruse. They showed they showed the well, binary ship being tractored away. Yep, Lacarno. Right. Now that we we noticed Lacarno dragging them away. Yeah, right. absolutely. So we, in, in theory, we have a small fleet of ships commanded by their lower deck officers. This whole fleet being led by Nick. Wait, 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 wait. I, I need to correct you on one point. There were there were crew members who betrayed each ship, but they weren't all the lower decks because we saw a lot of... Uh, all the episodes that started with the ship being captured showed the lower deckers just as confused about what was going on as anybody else. Yeah, I don't. I'm not Ferengi ship. Point. I don't think. I don't think that the one that had betrayed the ship was a lower decker. I think he was just like a, a con officer or something like that. He was an officer on the bridge. They said they were betrayed by their crew. Yeah, by members of their crew. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the. It wasn't the, the each ship's lower deckers that did the betrayal. We have seen Mariner piloting the Cerritos from time to time. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Take that. <laughs> I'll take it. I know you will. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll take white out to lower deckers and we'll say crew. Yeah. So Lacarno's leading a fleet. Speculation that I am imploring from all of you is what's his goal? What's his end game? Are we going to see uh Pajar 
the only other cadet from Nova Squad that still exists in this reality, as far as we know. Because Cito is dead, Wesley is on another plane of existence, you got Locarno, and you had Hajar. Oh, God, I hope we see Wesley. That would be really dope. Well, if Wesley shows up and saves the day. If Wesley just shows up and he's like, Nick, what are you doing, man? <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll just be the deus button at the end of the episode. And, yeah, and then he touches his forehead, he sees a koala, and he disappears. Oh, God. <laughs> the koala Stop riding Wesley that koala Crusher. dick. <laughs> yeah, the koala is Wesley. The koala is Wesley Crusher. <laughs> he moonlights as the koala when he is not... Uh, being one of the what what are they called rick what are they called supervisors what are they called yeah well the you know the, the uh the oh well, he's he's over, he's over the supervisors yeah well, he he's he's a traveler so i yeah get, i think it was supervisor no so look remember. gary seven's companion could turn into a cat so the, apparently they can some of them just can turn into animals mm-hmm. i mean why couldn't wesley turn into a friggin' koala Hmm? It's part of his vision quest. It was his vision quest animal or something, you know? (laughs) (laughs) He's just sitting around eating leaves and watching everyone. Sitting on top of a black mountain. Oh, but, all right. Too much of a tangent on Wesley Crusher. Uh, Speculations on. on No, this was speculation. We can talk about Wesley Crusher. Damn. (laughs) Don't, don't like speculate, shame me. <laughs> I go where I, I, go where I want on my speculation. <laughs> you spec shamer. <laughs> you anal retentive bastard. <laughs> yes. Just because you're wearing a Starfleet uniform does not mean you get to captain me, sir. <laughs> you're not my supervisor. <laughs> I did not um, join the Star Service, sir. Um, according <laughs> to the. According to the pips on my collar, I'm a fleet admiral. I kind of am the supervisor. Okay, does anyone else have any speculation about what's going to happen next week? I have no clue where they're going with this, and I'm fine with that. Uh, I I would like to see all of the lower deckers from the uh, from all the ships join together to stop whatever's going on. Um, I agree with, with Dave, although I didn't think of it until you said it. I would love to see Tom Paris and Nick Locarno square off. Uh, I I don't think that's beyond the pale. I if any show is going to do it, it's this show. Well, they've already got his. They already got the guy there that would do his voice. Well, so. and and we've we've already seen Tom Paris, so yeah. it they've they've set it up, so it would be it would be brilliant. I think the um, Vulcan ship is going to make an appearance. I don't know how big of a role they'll, they'll play, but. Uh, I, Lynn's ship, I think it's going to be there. She'll no, probably do notice... something heroic and they'll say come back and she'll be like, no. Yeah. I, 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 I did totally get a kick that. out of the fact that Boimler called her T and she didn't correct him. Yeah. Which is interesting for a Vulcan because I don't think yeah. you know that I, I, it was a throwaway, but I, I liked it. Yeah, the humans rubbing off on her. Hopefully not the way uh, Trip rubbed off on Paul, <laughs> I didn't say anything. Don't you worry about that. Just put me in the decontamination chamber. <laughs> and with the oh, jail. Fucking vermin. 
No, that wasn't. I don't think that was Berman. That was uh, that was UPN wanting yeah. more sex on the show. They that also was... wanted alien boy bands, for Christ's sake. And they they wanted Orion strippers with tongues that come out. And, no, it wasn't the Orions. With the no, tongues, that was Shat- somebody, Shatner. Somebody had a one. tongue. That was that was on that was in Star Trek Five on whatever planet and the 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 Cation strippers and one of them. Had a, yeah, that was freaking shit. No, no, that was Enterprise. Yeah, they did that on Enterprise. Was Enterprise? Too. Yeah. But they were like eating the butterflies. That yeah. was Enterprise. Oh, I thought that was. Oh, all right. No, it oh, wasn't Star Trek yeah. Five. That, so that was, yeah, fucking Berman. <laughs> oh, you're giving you're giving Five too much credit. They didn't. Five didn't have CGI. It was, was it, that was all practical. <laughs> I you know I have my issues with Berman. It was not Berman. It was Les Moonves. Mister, oh. I got fired from my job for sexually assaulting and harassing women. Les Moonves. Oh, really? All right. Who canceled Enterprise? Piece of shit. Mm-hmm. It was. It was all less. Okay, I'll buy that. Meanwhile, Berman that would have never wanted to do anything as interesting as anything we just named. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to wrap it up for us <laughs> on on this discussion. Uh, uh star trek lower deck season four episode nine the inner fight that was our discussion i want to thank all of my panelists for being here uh tom do you have anything that you want to share with the people anything uh interesting you're asking me for something interesting i'm thinking already <laughs> got the answer to that so. you shared a, a star trek game i think in the group chat what was that what was that about oh uh it's an online uh well, it would have been a flash game. It's been updated to whatever uh, can work now, and it's just uh, pew pew uh, shoot them up with the endless hordes of enemies, totally mindless. But uh, Rick's shirt, which is like a Star Trek version of Space Invaders, uh, kind of reminds me of it. What's the name of the game? Everyone can look for it and go play. Oh, I think it's Flash Trek. Which flash track. Sounds flash a lot. Slash. Flash with an F. <laughs> flash Trek Assault Online Game from dan-dare.org. There you go. See, everyone go go track that down and, and play a fun game. Uh, and watch Dave, his, his hit count go up. <laughs> Dave, where can people find you online? Um, well, if you're interested in hearing me talk more about star trek star trek universe um where me and matt uh my oldest friend we do episode reviews of all the new star trek stuff we always talk about the current events when we feel like talking about them and uh then me and effie are reviewing all of the original series episodes and i'm old hat at original series effie's never seen any of this stuff before this is her first watch through uh so we're having a lot of fun uh this is a 26 year old person who's never seen star Trek. She has no idea. So <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Um, if you're interested in DC comics, movies and television, DC on screen news and reviews. And that's it. That's, that's what I'm going to say this time. I've talked right. enough. I've made everyone angry. <laughs> and Nick, what have you got for everybody? Well, you wouldn't know it from my rants tonight, but I do sometimes make jokes about Star Trek, <laughs> such as in my Star Trek recaps, which you can find at superanemic.com. 
And stay tuned to the Infinite Potato Alliance because Moon Show will be back in a couple Moon of weeks. Moon Show. Moon Show. Moon Show. Had to unmute. I miss Moon Show so much. <laughs> I realized that last week. I'm like, I really miss Moon Show. <laughs> Your wait is almost over. Yeah. I, I've binged eight, nine episodes over the last few days. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe you'll be a guest on the next season. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I don't know what the hell it is, but I feel compelled to binge it now. I don't. It's for all mankind. For all yeah, mankind. Have you great. been watching it? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so behind everything. Like I'm. It's worth it. It's a good show. Yeah. I was dragged right. kicking and screaming into watching it, and then just I, I, I watched, binged it. It's it's such a good show. And what is it called? For, for all, all mankind, mankind. It's, it's a speculative history. Uh, no, alternate that, history. I'm, I'm on board. It's not yeah, Apple. It sounds great. Yeah, Apple. It sounds great. The concept is: what if the Russians got to the moon before we did? I've seen a trailer for that. Yes, yeah. for it's all really mankind. Good. I there's so many shows, so many movies. I cannot keep track. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Highly uh, recommend it. You should good. be. I'm an I old mean, man no, drowning in. I'm an old man drowning in narrative these days. <laughs> Sean. Yes. Where you can find me here. You can find me on Cosmic Potato. And this week I learned that Gene Roddenberry's original choice to play Spock was not Leonard Nimoy. It was George Lindsay. So take that, I guess. <laughs> that can't be real. <laughs> that is it real. Is. It is. I've looked it up. I oh looked it up. God. Leonard Nimoy. If it hadn't been Leonard Nimoy that said it, I might not think it was real. But Leonard Nimoy did say that in a oh. in a, like a at like a convention or something. You, you See, do I've know always... that Goober was a character, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I know. But it was the only character that he played for the majority of his life. Yeah, and once he played that character, he never played another character. Yeah. Like now, he played a lot of stuff before that. But after after Andy Griffith, it was that. Mayberry RFD and then 19 years of hee haw. Yeah. Well, it's like what and I, I can't remember the, the, the guy's real name. Who played Ernest? Ernest uh, Ernest uh, P. Whirl? That yeah. was Jim yeah, Varney. Jim Varney. Yeah. Jim Varney yeah. was an amazing Shakespearean actor. Oh yeah. But then he became popular as Ernest and nobody wanted to, you know, wanted to see anything else from him. Yeah. He also played Jed um, Clampett. Yeah. And Slinky Dog. At first, I thought you were about, talking about Ernest T. Bass, and I was like, holy shit, that dude was crazy. Like, Howard Morris, wasn't that his name? Sean? Yeah, he was like a that, big he was like a big writer. Yeah. He, he directed a lot of episodes of Andy Griffith, too. Yeah, But he did so many crazy characters on, like, Sid Caesar's Your Show of Shows, and yeah, yeah. he was, like, all over the place. He did so many voices and so many... Oh, my God, he was fantastic. I, dude, I, you're I, talking I, older I, than me. How do you do I, this shit? I remember him. Because I'm Dave. <laughs> I... I <laughs> I remember him most clearly. I don't. I'm just taking back control of the conversation. Rick, where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> uh, you can find me here on various shows. And uh, that's 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 about it. Oh, uh, there's a new COVID vaccine out there, folks. Go get it. And get your flu shots. Now, don't start giving orders on this show or Commodore do Douche it! Nozzle over here is going to get upset. You will do it. <laughs> <laughs> Not a Commodore. <laughs> <laughs> and people can find me elsewhere on this very <laughs> network, including uh, 
Moon Show, occasionally Captain yeah. Game Show, Cosmic Potato, and of course, right here on that Star Trek podcast. If you are tired of listening to me, then you can feel free to check out my website at www.planetrisecreative.com and have a look at some of the graphic artwork that I do for fun and profit. profit. That is going to take us to the end of that Star Trek podcast. Thank you, listeners, for listening, for downloading, for hopefully subscribing. And don't forget to come back next week and hear our discussion on the season finale of Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4, Episode 40. They're keeping the title under wraps, I suspect, because McMahon doesn't want anything to get out. He's very excited. And we're very excited, too. So join us next week as we discuss the season finale. Thank you, everybody. And good night. Get on, Danger Bowie! Thank you for joining us for this episode of That Star Trek Podcast. You can contact us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can send us an email at thatstartrekpodcast at gmail.com. Help the show grow by giving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Be sure to join us again next time on That Star Trek Podcast, 